All right, C12, y'all doing good tonight? Okay, I'm just gonna let's play that again, try and one more time. Y'all doing good tonight? Good, awesome. Well, so am I. So let's jump in, okay? We are going to have week two of Great and Awesome. How many of you have heard of Great and Awesome before? That's right. That means you've been around here in some capacity. See, Great and Awesome is a series that we're going through. We started last week. We're going to finish out tonight, but it's also the series that our church is going through. This is our vision as a church for the next three years. So as we talk about Great and Awesome here on Thursdays, also on Sundays, PK, our senior pastor, is teaching the story of Nehemiah and how Nehemiah's story ties into the vision that we're going after as a church about how we're going to take up our shovels and take up our swords. But what I, what I want us to do over really last week and then this week is look at the story of Nehemiah in a little bit of a greater detail to understand what's going on and learn two primary things from Nehemiah that are going to help us in how to live this life and really how to build this thing called C12, especially through the summer. And so last week we landed on the main point that it's time to undo the wrong and establish the right. It's time to undo the wrong and establish the right, that God wants to take whatever is wrong and broken and ruined in you, and he wants to restore it. He wants to establish the right no matter where the wrong has been. And we see that this is the heart of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, how many of you have heard of Nehemiah before? Yes, maybe, Nehemiah, okay. Can we just get like, if you actually have heard of him, raise your eye. I just want to see that you're even with me in here. Okay, good, there you go. So when we talk about Nehemiah, what we need to understand is that Nehemiah was a Jew, and Nehemiah and his people were around in a time where they were exiled. For over 70 years, Israel was exiled. And so they were underneath the, the dominion of another, of another nation, of another king. They were not at home. And this is the same with Nehemiah. Then he hears that all of his people are going back home to Jerusalem, the heart of their nation, the heart of the Israeli nation. And then he hears the report that the walls of Jerusalem have been broken down, that the gates have been burned down, and that the people there are in great disgrace. That it's not going well. Things are not doing well at all. And when this happened, Nehemiah's heart broke. And see, he, uh, he knew that the city was in ruins, but he was more concerned with the people. That he wanted to restore what was ruined in Jerusalem. And the thing is, that's the exact same as God when it comes to you. That God wants to take what is ruined in you and he wants to restore it. He wants to take all of the wrong and he wants to establish it in the right way. He wants to heal you. He wants to mend you. He wants to follow the model that we see in Nehemiah. He wants to undo the wrong and establish the right. So tonight we're going to kind of take that thought and piggyback off of it and keep going. But what I did last week, I'm going to do again this week too. Um, are we all, is anyone in, in class, in school? Anybody taking classes right now? Oh, bless your heart. Hmm. How many of you are not taking classes? That's what I thought. Okay. So since you're not, I thought I'd just go ahead and give you the answers. There's no reason to draw this out. Let me go ahead and give you the answer. If you want to follow along in the bulletin, write down some notes. We left you some space. But the main point that we want you to understand tonight, to piggyback off of last week, you ready? Is this. It's time to stop living for me and start living for we. It's incredibly grammatically correct. I understand. I was an English major. But listen, it's easy. It rhymes. You can remember it. It's time to stop living for me and start living for me. All right, two of you are, was that fun? Was that exciting? Wee! Yeah. Like the, like the pig and Geico commercial? No. It's time to stop living for me and it's time to start living for me. we. We collectively. So tonight we will learn that it's time to stop living for me and it's time to start living for me, or for we. 
Time to stop living for... Yep, you're welcome. So, yep. Time to stop living for me, start living for we. And here's, here's where I see this play out all the time. Everything for me comes back to sports. That's just what happens. And I, that again, like, the enemy's in the room. I don't want to hear it, bro. Not, don't want to hear it. He said roll tide in case we're going to pray for him later. Yeah, um, yeah, clearly roll tide. Okay. There it is. Now, when I, when I think about this element of me versus we, I think about teams. I think about sports. And there's one in particular that I really uh, think of. Um, how many of you watched? I can't believe I'm going to do this. How many of you watched game one of the Hawks last night? I know. Oh, man. Oh. Like, my left knee hurts because of watching what happened to DeMar. You know what I'm saying? So it was bad. We're playing that. How many of you didn't have no idea what's going on with the Hawks right now? All right, bless your heart. That's, we're going to pray for you all, okay? This is Atlanta. You should be true to Atlanta. We are in the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time in franchise history, okay? And we lost game one. There, just bring it down for a second. Let's be real. And we're playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, how many of you know, how many of you know who the star of the Cleveland Cavaliers is? LeBron James. LeBron James. LeBron James. How many of you have ever heard of LeBron James? Who has no idea who LeBron is? Yeah, that's what I thought. Get out of here. We all know who LeBron is, okay? Now, I'm going to make a comparison that a lot of sports experts like to make. Because LeBron came into the NBA in 2003, and he came in the NBA at the exact same time that someone else came into the NBA. LeBron came straight out of high school. This guy came in after his freshman year at Syracuse. He was the third pick in the draft. LeBron was the number one pick. He had just won the national title the year before, and LeBron was the player of the year in high school. His name's Carmelo Anthony. How many of y'all ever heard of Carmelo Anthony? Don't cheer for him. Get out of here. I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't cheer for him in a second. So we compare LeBron and Carmelo all the time in this game called basketball. I love basketball. I played basketball all growing up. And when we compare these two, they are two of the greatest basketball players on the planet. But they have two incredibly different career trajectories through their NBA seasons. Let me tell you a little bit about LeBron James in case you don't know him. LeBron James has two NBA championships, four MVPs, two NBA Finals MVPs, two Olympic gold medals, an NBA scoring title, and the NBA Rookie of the Year award. He has been selected to 11 NBA All-Star teams, 11 All-NBA teams, including today named first team All-NBA, and six All-NBA defensive teams. And he is the Cleveland Cavaliers' all-time leading scorer. And the most important thing of all this stuff that he would tell you are those two rings he won while he was in Miami. Now let's look at Carmelo. Carmelo, <laughs> why, why are you laughing? Carmelo Anthony has three Olympic gold medals. He has an NBA scoring title, averages over 25 points for his career game. He has eight all-star appearances and zero trips to the NBA Finals. He actually has the worst career playoff record of any person in NBA history. Forbes magazine called him the most overpaid player in the NBA. Two totally different trajectories, two totally different stories from two of the greatest players, call it what it is, of all time. Now, why in the world do they have two totally different trajectories? I would argue because of the principle that we're learning tonight. One of them plays basketball and has the tendency to play all about me. And the other one has the tendency to play all about we. Carmelo Anthony plays in the biggest market in the NBA. And yet he can't get other players to come and sign and play with him in the biggest market in the NBA. Now, yes, their front office is jacked up and it's ridiculous. It's a travesty. But 
It has to do with how Carmelo plays. And yet LeBron James plays in one of the smallest markets in the NBA, and everyone's willing to take less money to play with him. Because one of them, Carmelo, has a tendency to play all about me. And while LeBron James has a tendency to play all about we, he's one of the greatest playmakers for his teammates in NBA history. But listen, the Hawks have to play him right now, okay? I love watching LeBron play. I do not like watching LeBron play right now. I don't like it at all because I'm true to Atlanta and Damari's knee isn't blown out and we got a chance, right? Maybe? Okay, yeah. Sure, we're going to, yeah, I don't know. Because see, here's the thing. When you get someone who's a leader and you get someone that rallies everyone else around him to start playing for we, to start making it, start living for we instead of just for me, you become a formidable team. You become a very hard team to beat. You become almost unstoppable. And so we've actually seen there are stats that show that LeBron James is one of the greatest NBA playoff players of all time. He has more 30.5 rebound, five assist games of anyone in history. Last night, he broke Michael Jordan's record. LeBron James understands how to play for we, and then they win titles, and they go far. He might go if they beat the Hawks, which they won't because we're Atlanta, and we win everything. Listen, being an Atlanta fan is like, I've told you this before, is like living in the friend zone of dating. It's like you're always this close and never close the deal. Like, she's always right there, like, but not for you. You know what I mean? It's awful. It's awful. So while playing against someone like that is a formidable task, it is like that when any time someone and a bunch of people stop living for me and start living for we. And as a ministry, as a group of people, as a collective, we're a team as well. We get to set the tasks that we go after. We get to set the culture of what this place is. And we get to determine whether or not we're going to be a bunch of people that live for me or live for we. That make it about us collectively or just about me. And I think that if we would start understanding that the design that, that Nehemiah would teach us, the design of how God desires for us to live, is to stop living for me and start living for we, an incredible thing would happen in this place. Histories would be changed. Stories would be changed. Lives would be changed. Because we see that when this happens in the Bible, histories are changed. Stories are changed. Nations are changed. Because Nehemiah showed us how to do it. So last week we looked at Nehemiah's story about how in chapter 1 I just told you about what happened. And he's distraught. He is overwhelmed. He is overtaken because his people are in disgrace. Because the city walls of Jerusalem have been broken down, the gates have been burned down to the ground, it's in rubble, it doesn't look good, all the prestige and the glory of what it should be is not happening. And at the end of chapter 1, we see him praying for God's favor, because he's going to go ask the king, to which he's the cupbearer, he's in the royalty, he's in the inner circle, he's going to go ask the king if he can be released to go back home, to go to Jerusalem so he can rebuild the walls. And when he asks for that favor... The king actually grants him that favor. So now he's going to be sent back to Jerusalem. He's going to go rebuild the walls. And at the end of chapter 2, we see that he prays this. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. This is his response to the detractors that think, you can't do this. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. We will start rebuilding and we will do this. 
Now, a lot of times when we hear about Nehemiah's story, we hear that Nehemiah rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. Actually, if you go and Google like Nehemiah rebuilding the wall, it's called Nehemiah's wall. That in this time, in this period, they name it towards Nehemiah. But that can oftentimes lead us into this misunderstanding of what actually happened. Nehemiah didn't build that freaking wall. Nehemiah and a whole bunch of people rebuilt that wall. They did it in 52 days. They restored Jerusalem and they took what was ruined and they restored it. They undid the wrong to establish the right. But in doing so, what we have to understand is that it was a lot of people. It wasn't just me, it was we. Take a look at what happens. What you're seeing right here is Nehemiah chapter 3. I could read it and try to say all those names and sound like an absolute fool, or I can sit here and show you that you probably can't even read all that stuff, but what the names of those people are is the head of the family and what each family rebuilt. You may have heard that it takes a village to raise a child, which is absolutely true because i got two little ones. But I would say it takes an entire community to change history. Nehemiah didn't do it on his own, but it took one man saying, this isn't about me, it's about we. And we collectively have to come together to rebuild what is in ruins. We collectively have to come together and make right what is wrong. And see, when you look at the story of Nehemiah, we see that he was distraught. He was distraught when he heard the report that everything had gone wrong. And so he went to rebuild the walls. But if we can just stop there for a second, the story of Nehemiah is not about rebuilding walls. It's about restoring a city. Because the walls are the veneer. It's the outside. It's how, it's how everyone sees you. But the city was in ruins. And that's the heart. See, the story of Nehemiah has far less to do with the walls and much more to do with the city. God is far less concerned with those walls, and he is much more concerned with the city because it's the heart of the nation. And so what Nehemiah is going after right here is the exact same thing that we are going after and that God wants us to go after. God is far less concerned with your perception, with how you are viewed and with your situations, and he is far more concerned with your heart. So last week I asked you, is your city, who you are, is your heart, is it in ruins? Because if it is, what God wants to do is restore that. And so while Nehemiah is going to teach us how to live this out personally, he also shows us how to do it communally. Because when Nehemiah saw the state of the city, it broke his heart. When he saw the state of other people, it's what broke his heart. So my question to you is, when you look at those that you love, just like Nehemiah did, and they're in ruins, does it break your heart? Do you honestly care if someone you know is sick and hurting and in need? Not just physically, spiritually. Does it break your heart if those you love don't have Jesus? Does it hurt you somewhere inside to know that those that you love are dying? Because for Nehemiah, it broke his heart, and it triggered everything he was going to do. And if we would all start to understand that this place is not for us to live for me, it's to live for we, histories would change. In the same way that Israel's history changed, histories would change in this place. Now, when I first got here, about eight months ago or so, middle of the fall, there was a predominant theme that I watched and that I'd heard of that really bothered me. 
and it had to do with the community of this place. I heard that C12 was an awesome place, but it was really hard to get involved. It was really hard to be a part of it. It was really exclusive. There were a lot of people here that were all about me before they were about we. And see, that just, that just can't happen. Because that's not the call that God gives to, for us to do. And that's not the call of what Nehemiah shows us how to live. And that's not my heart. And so one of the things that I want us to understand is that it's time to stop living for me and it's time to start living for we, not necessarily even for you. It should break your heart that maybe your heart is in ruins, but is it breaking your heart that your friend's heart is in ruins? And what are you doing about it? Are you wanting to rebuild the walls? I think the reason why there's a misunderstood element of of this ministry, and I think we're fixing it. I do. I don't, I don't think it's the same. I think that this is a much more inviting place than maybe it was before. I think that this is the place that people enjoy t- coming to. But I want this to be the place that during the week, this is the night you look forward to. Like, I can't wait for Thursday so I can be here to be around those people and experience what we're going to get to go after together. And I think the reason why we've missed the boat is because of our, our view and our understanding of church. Just church, period. Because the church is a hospital. And healthy people don't go to the hospital. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you that if you feel like you're healthy, you shouldn't come. It's actually the opposite. All of you should be here because none of us are healthy. (laughs) And so this place isn't about you building up your walls and your perception. It's about restoring your heart. And it isn't about you It isn't about me, it's about we. It's about collectively being a place and understanding that we're all in the exact same. We all need to come to the hospital every week to get healthy. Because we're all jacked up. (laughs) We've all done stupid, we all got baggage, we've all messed up. We all carry around shame and guilt, and you're no different than anyone else in this room. But the truth is, there's freedom in Jesus. And you don't have to hold on to it. And so you come here to hear about it because the way that you can be healed of all those things, whatever you walked in here with, whatever's caused your city to be in ruin, you can walk in here and find healing in Jesus. And then once you find healing, you go and look at your friends that need it and you bring them in. If you had a friend right now, I want all of you to think about one person. Think about your best friend, like your bestie. Like friendship bracelets, right? For me, I'm thinking of my wife. No, we don't have friendship bracelets. We got wedding rings, okay? I think about my wife. She's my best friend. I want you to think about that person in your life. If they were physically sick and dying and in need of help but couldn't get it on their own, where would you take them? The ER, the hospital. How many of you, if you had a best friend right now that was physically sick and dying, you would say, oh, that sucks. Well, like being your friend. Or how many of you honestly would say, all right, get in the car, let's go, I'm taking you to the hospital. How many of you would say that? Because you love them. I shared the story back in February. My wife almost died. We both literally thought she was going to die. Scariest moment of my life. We had a miscarriage back in February that brought on some pretty serious complications. 
She was bleeding out. And it wasn't stopping. And I watched this happen in my bathroom. And so the first thing we did is I said, babe, put on clothes. We're going to the hospital. And so we went to the fire station that put us in the ambulance that took us to the hospital so that my wife could be saved, so that she could be healed, so that she could be healthy and she could live. None of you would, would ever think that I would do anything other than that because she's my best friend and I love her and I want to see her live. See, when your friend is sick and dying, you take him to the hospital. So whenever you think about your best friend or those that you love and they don't have Jesus, why aren't you bringing them to the hospital? Because if they don't have Jesus, they're sick and they're dying. Spiritually, they have no hope. And what they need is a Savior. What they need is healing. And they find it at the hospital. So why aren't we bringing them to the hospital? I'd say it's one of two things. You either actually don't believe this or you actually don't love them. Because if you loved them, you'd do whatever it takes to get them to the hospital so that they would live. See, it puts it in a different perspective when we take it out of this whole, like, oh, i got to invite people, i got to be like an evangelist, it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable and I don't want to do it. But the truth is they're dying and they need help. Just like you do. So the place you bring them is where you find help. To the hospital. And the moment we all collectively stop looking at church like this place exists for our perception to look better to other people, and we start realizing that this is a place that every single one of us need to be because we all need help, everything changes. This is not to build up your walls. It's to restore your city. So think about the friend that you have that has a ruined city, and why aren't you bringing them here? It's something that every single one of you have to answer. Now, their decision to follow Jesus and to get healthy is not on you. If my wife said, no, I'm not going, I don't want to go, and that, was, that is her decision. If someone, if you invite them and they come here, and then they're like, I don't really believe all that, I don't really want to get help. That's not on you. It's not your responsibility. But the question does not have to do with responsibility. It has to do with love. If you love them, why wouldn't you try to get them help? And if you believe that Jesus actually is the one who provides the healing and provides the help, that this actually is a place to find that, then you bring them here. And if we all do that, then we collectively become a place that stops living for me and starts living for we. We understand that this is a place that should, this should be the most inviting and open and willing and warm, welcoming place that anyone would ever experience in their life. No matter what they're going through, no matter what their past is, no matter who they think they are or what they're struggling with, this should be the safest place on earth for everyone to come. And the reason why it becomes the safest place on earth is because we welcome them. Because we look at the people coming in and we say, listen, I'm not better than you. <laughs> I'm just like you. So come and meet me and get to know me and hang out with us. Let's build accountability. Let's go after this. And let's both get healthy together. The church is a hospital. It's not a place for your perception to, be look, to look better. It's not veneer. It's your heart. And God is far more concerned with your heart than he is with the walls. If we all start doing this, you'll see that we can start to be a people 
that live the way that, that Paul tells us how to live. See, the Apostle Paul, he was a murderer. He would hunt down Christians and say, that's one of those people that follow as Jesus of Nazareth. Of Nazareth. He needs to die. And then they'd kill him, and he'd look at him and be like, good job, I approve that. Where's the next one? He'd go from city to city finding Christians and killing them. And then Jesus said, you're mine. No longer are you doing that. Walk with me. Let me show you life. And he says, well, who is this? He says, it's Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. See, you don't have to get clean before you come to God. You come to God, and he'll make you clean. You don't have to go and get right before you come to the hospital. You come to the hospital because you need help. So you come here, you hear the news of Jesus, and then it doesn't matter what your past is, because Paul is worse than all of you. Jesus will heal you. And then Paul shows us how to live. How do you actually do this? How do you actually become someone that stops living for me and starts living for we? And he shows us in Colossians chapter 3. I want us to read this together. So open up to Colossians chapter 3. If you want to use the Bible, it's under your chair. You can open up to you version on your phone if you brought your own, whatever it is. I want us to read through this together in Colossians chapter 3. This is a blueprint for how all of us at C12 should live. Every single one of us in this place. Colossians chapter 3, page 1184, if you need some help. And we're going to go in verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12, Paul says this to the people in Colossus. That's why it's called Colossians. Verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues that I just said, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Be thankful for what you get to do. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God, same thing we get to do, with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. And listen, I know we can do this. And the moment we do, this becomes the most fun place that you're going to experience. And I believe that this summer, there is no greater time to do it than right now. That's why the last two weeks we've been saying, it's time to undo the wrong and establish the right. It's time to stop living for me and start living for we. Because it's now. There's no reason to delay in this because we're going to give opportunities to have fun, to be inviting, give you ways to bring your friends in, bring those loved ones in. And listen, just time out. I understand social gospel. I have friends that I have loved for the last 17 years of my life that don't know Jesus. And I'm still inviting them. I'm still bringing them here. And all I'm doing is being their friend. And so I'm not forcing it down their throat. I'm not making them feel uncomfortable and awkward. They're just getting to know me, and I'm loving on them. And through that, they're seeing who I am over 17 years. I get that it's time. This isn't about an invitational tool that you should go and do this. This is not legalistic. <laughs> this is heart. Do you love them? Be their friend. Invite them here. And then we're going to give you opportunities to do that with a lot of fun. Next week, we're not meeting in this room. If you come into this room, you're going to be like, man, this place is 
empty. That's what it is. Because we're going to meet over in the other side of the building. So when you come here, we're going to all park over at the children's entrance, which is up top, and we're going to have C12 outside. It was awesome today. I, I worked outside for like three hours. It was incredible. So next week, we're going to be on this big lawn. Think laser show at Stone Mountain minus the lasers, okay? But that's what we're going to do, and we're going to have food. We're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs there for free. We're going to have Kona ice there with some snow cones. We're going to have photo booths. We're going to have games, people throwing the football. We're just going to hang out. It's going to be community. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be so much fun. And then through the summer, we're going to continue to build opportunities to have community, to build a place that collectively says, we're going to be about we. We're going to be about more than just me. And, and notice, I didn't say, you stop living for me and you start living for them. I said, you stop living for me, you start living for we. You're involved in this. Like, you are a part of this. You have a part to play and you get to be a part of building something incredible in this place that changes stories, changes histories, changes generations to come. Because what if maybe by chance one of your friends comes to know Jesus and gets healed? And then because of that, he meets some girl, and then they get married, and one day they have kids, and now they get to raise them towards Jesus. And so three more people are on this planet that know Jesus. All because maybe, for some reason, you decided to actually invite him. We're going to have stuff outside of C12 on Thursday nights. We're going to have nights at AMC where after we're done here, there's a movie in June and a movie in July. We're all going to go to AMC. We're going to hang out and go watch a movie together. And we're going to go to a laser show one night. We're going to say C12 is going to a laser show, so let's go hang out at Stone Mountain. And we're going to build fun environments. Maybe we'll shoot the hooch or go up to Helen and raft down that. I don't know. We want this place to be fun. We want it to be inviting. We want you to enjoy being here and enjoy bringing your friends here. And so how, are there any recently graduated or about to graduate high school seniors? High school seniors? Yes? Yes? This is where you should be. And all your friends, this is where you should be. And if anyone from age 12, our high school ministry, they get to come now into college. And so what we get to do is we get to look at them and say, oh, you're a freshman. <laughs> this is right where you should be. I've been there too. I know what it's like. Let me help you out. Because it's not easy being a freshman. For all your friends that are at school, for everyone who is away at school right now and coming back this summer, no matter who it is that walks through those doors, if you're in this college-age season of life, 18 to 25, somewhere in there, this is where you should be. And I want to build a place that when people talk about us, they say, that's the most inviting group of people I've ever met. And they have a lot of fun. That's what we're going to do this summer. But in order to get there, it's going to take all of us together saying, I'm going to stop living for me, and I'm going to start living for we. I'm going to make this place more about bringing people in and being inviting to everyone that comes through the doors. I'm going to eliminate the legalism. I'm going to eliminate the exclusivity. It doesn't need to exist here. And I'm going to love on people. I'm going to give people high fives. Every time I do, I give you all high fives. What am I doing? Spreading germs. That's all I'm doing. You're welcome. No, I, I genuinely love getting to do this. I love getting to hang out with y'all. I love watching you walk through the doors. I love watching you grow. And one of the biggest ways you can grow and mature in your faith is by getting this down. That God wants to undo the wrong and establish the right in your life. That's why this exists. And once he does that, he wants you to live not for you, 
right? Stop living for me. Start living for we. And when we do that, this place will change. This church will change. This community will change. And then maybe one day, we'll have so many people, we've got to open those doors and teach out in the lobby. Because people just want to show up and come. Come here to the hospital and hear about the good news of Jesus. That's why we're here. We're going to have fun doing this, I promise, this summer. So invite people in, be a part of it. Stop living for me, start living for we. Let me pray for y'all. Father, I pray that we would be able to live out this call that you give us in Colossians 3. Nothing is easier than saying words or making vows or or declaring that, well, this is what I'm going to do then. But God, nothing is harder than actually doing it. Having the resolve and the follow-through and the gumption to say, God, you're telling me to stop making it about me. Maybe the church doesn't exist for me to feel better about myself and make other people think that I'm better than I really am. Maybe this isn't a place to, to put a badge on your, on your shoulder and say, well, man, look at the things I'm accomplishing. I'm doing things right in my life. I'm going to church. No, the truth is, God, we all need you. We're all broken. We're all sick, and we need help. We need healing. So, Father, would you provide that in this place? I pray that we would change our perspective of what you desire the church to be. A group of people collectively saying, we're following after you, Jesus, because you are the one that can heal us. You are the one that gives us freedom. And we want everyone to experience that. So may we never be caught up in the legalism and in the lies and in the, in the do-betterness that, we, that maybe our world tells us we should be or that we are. Father, who we are is a group of people that come together and say, there's freedom in you and we want to live it. There's an authentic environment here designed to reach people in my generation, and I want them to come and experience it. Because as I grow up, I want my friends to grow up. As I see those that are sick and dying, I want them to be alive and to be healed. So Jesus, it is in your name that I ask that you would work all of these things out for your greater glory, that you would be seen and that you would be made famous in this place. Would we collectively become a people that say, I'm going to stop living for me. I'm going to start living for we. I'm going to take Thursday nights and make it the best night of the week. And I get to be a part of making that happen. Of saying hey to everyone that I know. Inviting everyone I can in. And watching something explode this summer because of what we get to do. So Father, I pray that through all of the fun, that you would continue to be the thread that drives us forward. And I pray that the people in this room tonight would all feel that prompt from your spirit to realize, I'm no better than anyone else. I'm just the same as them because all of us are in need of Jesus. So, Father, I pray that we would realize that, that we would lean into you, and that we would find all we need in who you are. So may you be glorified in this place, and in the name of Jesus, would you be known here because it's all for you. So, Father, I love you. I adore you. I thank you for healing me because I don't deserve it. So may your grace abound in this place, and may your freedom run wild. It's in Jesus' name we pray.